Hello, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, December the 12th. It's the third Sunday of Advent. And today we light the candle. Excuse me. <laughs> we light the candle uh, of love. We've lit the candle of hope, peace, and today is love. Today we also conclude our series on 2 Thessalonians with the Thess- first and 2 Thessalonians, but today we finish up with chapter 3, verses 6 through 18. And again, at face value, a hard teaching, but one that we mustn't ignore and one that is in the canon of Scripture and is part of the full counsel of God and one that we must look at. And so, in mind, with all of that, with this being the third Sunday of Advent, the candle of love, we jump into 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 18. I'm reading from the ESV version. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would, not, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, don't let him eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, then he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, writing this greeting with my own hand, this is the sign of genuineness of every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So our final study in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians deals with the value of work. And it is somewhat of a strange subject, admittedly, for Sunday worship, but but one that we should find beneficial. Now, a couple a couple things right off the bat. We we can't misinterpret work in this case to be job, to be career. That's not that's not what Paul's talking about, okay? We're talking about we're talking about work and in, and in particularly within the context and within the within the constraints of the church, okay? So many people think of work as, as sort of a kind of curse, something that has been imposed on humanity because of the fall. But work is really a blessing, though we tend to forget that at times. But in Thessalonica, there were certain people in the church who refused to work. Some, some scholars have felt that they were doing so because, as we've talked about multiple times, they expected Jesus to return at any moment. And Paul does not say what was causing the Thessalonians to stop working, but he faces the facts of it. And there, there were some people who had decided not to work anymore. They were, they were living off the good will and the kindness of others within the church. They're part of the church. Okay, this isn't, we have to understand again, this isn't ministry. This isn't outreach. These are people part of the church. 
So Paul had a word for the church about them in chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is living in idleness and not accord with the trend, with the tradition that you received from us. And again, tradition, not like man-made traditions, but apostolic traditions that we talked about last week. Withdraw from them, Paul says. Do, do not have anything to do with them. Leave them alone, that they may seem to us... That, that seems just rather ungracious and, and very far removed and distant from what a Christian's reaction, quote unquote, ought to be. I mean, we're instructed everywhere in, in, in the scriptures to share with people, right? To be aware of their needs. If people are hungry, where to feed them. It, and so it may seem like a contradiction that, that Paul would say to these believers in Thessalonica, if someone will not work, then don't have anything to do with them. This, this form of, of ostracism, well, it's, it's a very severe and painful penalty, and it, and it seemed maybe to us too severe. But the reason Paul gives is because a refusal to work is really a violation of Scripture. So notice how he definitely states that this advice to keep away bears the name of Jesus himself in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not merely a suggestion on his part. You see, when Moses brought down the Ten Commandments from the Mount of Sinai, they were not ten suggestions. And so neither is this. It's a command that has the full authority of Christ behind it. And the reason is because it disregards the scriptures. It is not in accord with the tradition that you received from us, Paul says. The tradition, the apostolic tradition, being the inspired and divine word of God. That's very revealing. Christianity has, at the core of it, a recognition of the need of people to work. Jesus himself had said to the disciples, Occupy till I come. There's no place in his word authorizing anyone to stop work because they expected Jesus to return. This is in accord with saying things that we have said multiple times from the pulpit. If you're not dead, you're not done. In other words, we don't get to retire from the kingdom of God. Now, Again, don't misinterpret work to be job, title, or career. That's not what we're talking about. But it is helpful to remember that God had ordained work before the fall of man. Adam, when he was created, was given a job to do from the very beginning. God gave him a commission to till and to keep the garden, also to name the animals. He had to work to do that. God gave him the beautiful earth filled with wonderful resources, which we have been using up rapidly through all the centuries since. And one of the blessings was that man should work. Six days you'll labor, God had said, and on the seventh day, rest. That's Exodus 20. Work, then, is a part of what the Scripture calls the image of God in man. God is a worker. He has devised marvelous things in a universe that's filled with mysteries, with marvels, intricate, involved complexities that we, we only now can be, even begin to think about unraveling. And with our, with our modern technology, uh, we are merely dabbling in the shadows of the wonders that God has packed into the universe around us, all designed by the working mind of God the Creator. And since man is made in the image of God, it means there are abilities, there are resources and possibilities within humanity that need to be put to work. In doing so, humanity will find a sense of fulfillment for themselves. And that's why Paul devotes 
a rather large section of this letter to dealing with this problem. Ordinarily, a problem like this would only call for maybe one or two verses of advice, but here, a major portion of this pretty brief letter is devoted to the subject of work. See, work is intriguing because it demands something of us. Again, think within the context of the church, okay? Work is intriguing. It demands something of us. It is worthwhile. Well, some of us may say, well, that may be true for your work, but but my work is very boring and routine. I do the same things over and over again, and no one even notices. I get tired of it. There is work like that. But the answer that scripture to that situation is whatever you do in word or deed, whatever work you're doing, do it to the glory of God. Colossians 3. Offer it as to Jesus. See, even routine work can become very acceptable if we are concerned to do it as we're doing it for Jesus. Every product that we turn out or every pull of a handle or metaphorically or or that we're responsible for is done for Jesus. It's something he asked us to do. That is the Christian philosophy of work. So by means of that, we can transform even very humdrum, tedious, monotonous work into something meaningful and worthwhile. The second reason that Paul gives for this pretty severe demand to withdraw from people who are not who are not going to work is because it deliberately ignores Paul's very own example. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We did not eat anyone's bread without paying, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not burden any of you. It was not because we have we don't have that right, but to give you in our conduct an example that should be imitated. So it's helpful to remember that these great men and women of God who taught us all these marvelous truths in the scripture were not isolated from the ordinary working world. They were very involved in it. Paul had every right, he says, to cease from work. Jesus had said the laborer is worthy of his hire. If someone preaches and teaches you spiritual truth, they have the the right to expect to be supported in order to, to have time for their ministry. Paul recognizes that. He says, yes, I have that right, but I chose not to do it. Why? Because I didn't want to be a burden to anybody. Here, I think he's referring primarily to the establishing of a church. You see, Paul was a pioneer. He went into places where there were no churches at all, and he began to preach. And, and so he brought a church into being. It, it, is, it is these people fresh out of paganism with no recognition in their lives of the value of spiritual truth until they came to Christ. And, and he wants to set free from the responsibility to support him. And, and later on, he does receive help from churches. He thanks the Philippians for the help they sent him in Thessalonica. But in the beginning, he did not do so because he did not want to become a burden on anyone. He worked night and day, laboring at his trade of tent making in order that he might pay people for the food that he was eating. It's clear from this that he deliberately left a model for others in order that they might understand how to reach out to others with the message of salvation without costing them. Keep, keep away from people who refuse to work, says the apostle, says Paul. Do not have anything to do socially with people like that. But not only withdraw, he says, but withhold food from them. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. If anyone will not work, don't let them eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness Mere busy bodies, not doing any work. Notice that it's not if any cannot work, but if any will 
not work. There's a there's a huge difference of the, again. This this is a this is a resolute decision not to work, not to be a part of what's happening, not to be engaged. People who cannot work because there is no work also need our help. Paul is not talking about these kinds of conditions. The reason that Paul says to take this drastic action, to let them not eat if they're really not going to work, is because he wanted to prevent something worse. He says that people who do not work will become, who are not busy about the, the work of the kingdom, will become busy bodies. In other words, meddlers, people who concern themselves with other people's affairs. Such people try to get involved with things that they don't have any business getting involved with and go around generally stirring up difficulty and trouble. Those who will not work, if they are not busy, become busy bodies. And this is the point that he's making. Someone has said that people who are willing to work are like mules. When they are pulling, they cannot kick. And when they are kicking they cannot pull. It's just another reason why work is necessary. And Paul directly addresses these people in verse 12. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus. Again, it's the authority of Jesus to do their work in quietness and to earn their own living. There's no misunderstanding of these words. You can work, Paul says. You are an able body. You have a good mind. Now go to work. It's a serious matter when you refuse to. And those who refuse to do so are not allowing themselves to be fulfilled in the way God intended. And they're cheating others as well. They're keeping busy only by meddling in other people's affairs. So Paul goes on to counsel the leadership of the church on how to handle problems like this. And he lists a couple things, about four. Brethren, don't be, don't be weary of, of well-doing. If anyone refuses to obey what we say in this letter, note that person and have nothing to do with them that they might be ashamed. Do not look on them as an enemy, but warn them as a brother. First of all, don't give up on them. That is because they really are brothers and sisters. Don't, don't be impatient. Spend a little time working on this. That's what he's saying. Don't be, don't be weary of well-doing. Second, do not evade a confrontation. Note that person. Don't just hope that the problem will pass away. And so do nothing about it. Take note of it. And thirdly, don't carry it too far. Don't make them feel like an enemy. Don't make them feel like they are not even a believer. They are a brother or a sister. They're confused and they need help, but they're not an unbeliever. And as we bring this to a close, I, w- I want to raise again the question, why is work so important? What is it about working that Paul and Jesus himself sees as so valuable that they would take all this time to deal with it? Well, it's becoming more clear from, from this that work is divinely intended to give us something. And I think part of what it gives us is a sense of self-worth. When we are working, we feel like we are accomplishing something. When we are unable to work, for whatever the reason may be, we feel out of sorts and unable to function as we were intended. It's disturbing and it's psychologically upsetting to be without work. It really is a testimony to the fact that God made us to work. Work, therefore, is not a curse. It's very valuable and it's a very valuable thing because it gives us a sense of meaning in our lives. Think about situations when people have nothing to do because they can't find work. Think about some of the quote-unquote side effects of that. 
Look around, look around and, and at the news in the world of, of young men and, and particularly young men in different places, but young men and women who can't find work and what happens out of that idleness and, and the brutality and the evil that comes. And the letter closes with a recognition of the invisible resources of, of Christians to deal with any kind of problem. And again, this is, this is a repeat. This is, uh, this is Paul saying this again. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and always. The Lord be with you all. The promise of God is that no matter what our problem is, we can have peace in solving it. You see, many times we seek help with a problem when we are upset and troubled, and it is evident in the way that we talk and the signs that we project of being deeply troubled. We're not peaceful, but we are a believer, but we're not at peace. And we will never solve other, the other problems until we learn how to have peace. And so this verse highlights that strongly. The Lord of peace himself is with you. When they were caught up in the storms in the Sea of Galilee, Jesus said to the disciples, don't fear, I'm with you. I'm in control, he was saying. The boat's not going to sink. The Lord of the ocean is in it, so don't be afraid. I'm not going to stop the storm, but I am going to see you through it. The Lord of peace himself is with us. We have the right to take from him a peaceful mind, a peaceful attitude, and to remind ourselves that he can handle problems. He, he who can do it all is with us, and he will help us work it out. Then, then once we're at peace, we can come at the problem in a, in a very different attitude. And this is, this is the way Paul suggests that they handle this problem for those who can't work or who will not work. Excuse me. The Lord of peace be with you. The Lord be with you all. So in closing, as Paul does in so many of his, his letters, he says this. This is interesting. In, in verse 17 of chapter 3, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the mark of every letter of mine. It's the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We learn from other letters that Paul apparently had trouble with bad eyes. Remember, he was blinded on the road to Damascus. And he tells us, in the letter to the Galatians, that when he came among them at first, that they would have given him their own eyes if, if they could have. And many feel that this maybe is the quote-unquote thorn in the flesh that Second Corinthians 12, 7, that, was, that Paul refers to, that maybe it was his poor eyesight. Perhaps he, he even had some disfigurement that made him look bad to others. So when he wrote letters, he usually dictated them to a secretary one of the men or, 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 or women who traveled with him. But, but when he came to the close of his letters, he would take the pen from the hand of the secretary and, as he tells us in another place, with large letters would write these words, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That says is the mark of authenticity in his letters. But it's more than that. It's also the mark that these letters are the very word of God itself. Paul everywhere made claim to the fact that the doctrines that he taught, the facts that he gave out, the advice and the counsel that he gave was not his own. It came from the Lord. It was inspired. It was God himself speaking through the man. And even in that early day, people were imitating that. You see, Satan is quick to counterfeit something. There were writing letters, supposedly from Paul, and signing his name to them. But when he wrote with large letters the words, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, that, he said, is the mark of genuineness. No one can imitate this. When we get a letter like that, Paul says, you know it's written by me. 
By the way, some scholars reject the second Thessalonian letter as being from Paul because they do not like what it teaches. But here's the mark in this most challenged of his writings. That is the letter from Paul himself. And all of this then rests on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What would we do without that to live today? You see, really, the Thessalonian letters are letters of hope for a hopeless world. Paul has made his appeal to keep on working, to occupy until the Lord comes, to face the problems of life, and to handle them all with the sense that the Lord of peace himself will give us peace in all the ways that we ask and at all times. What better benediction could we ask? Amen, and God bless.